recent U.S. federal district judge ruling from a court in Louisiana resulted in a preliminary injunction on several government departments and agencies having contact with social media company higher-ups. In practice, that means the U.S. Department of Health, Justice, Human Services, and State, alongside the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, the CDC, the FBI, and a slew of individual government officials, are not allowed to ping social networks about posts that violate their rules or exchange information about anything related to content moderation. The departments, agencies, and individuals can still contact the leadership of, for instance, Facebook or Twitter when they identify posts related to national security threats, foreign interference in elections, or other sorts of criminal activity, and they can in general ways promote, quote, government policies or views on matters of public concern, end quote, which seems like a pretty big and vague loophole. They can also communicate about posts that do not represent protected free speech. The core goal of this ruling seems to be to prevent these government entities from influencing what sorts of content social networks allow to be posted and promoted and seen by users, and that's kind of the whole ballgame here, as the ruling stems from a case brought by the Republican Attorneys General of Missouri and Louisiana, accusing social platforms of basically kowtowing to Democratic lawmakers who they believe have been putting their fingers on the scale, allegedly trying to get social networks to block or shadow ban, algorithmically preventing the spread of content created by conservative users. The social networks claim this is not true. They do not do this and outside watchdog groups, including several that are generally aligned with conservative causes, did not find any evidence of widespread bias or actions against conservative users. Instead, what they found is that conservative users of these platforms are more likely to spread conspiracy theories, misinformation, and to engage in organized personal attacks, like doxing, the sharing of private information, of people they do not like than is the case for their non-political or liberal counterparts. That sort of activity has proponents from all parts of the political spectrum, but it's heavily weighted toward conservative users right now, including conservative policymakers and other politicians. The latter point possibly being the impetus for this case, as no one likes being called a liar or a spreader of misinformation or having their posts blocked or not transmitted as widely as they would like and politicians are in the position to do something about it when that kind of limiting happens to them. And those two attorneys general, among many of their peers, have at times been accused of spreading this type of content on social media. This ruling is being appealed, but in the meantime, this is expected to severely limit research into how information, including false information, is spread online, as three third-party organizations, the Election Integrity Partnership, the Virality Project, and the Stanford Internet Observatory, all academic research groups, can no longer work with their federal counterparts. And it also means efforts by government entities to convince social platforms to, for instance, clamp down on misinformation about vaccines or the integrity of elections will not be allowed something that we know the government has engaged in to some limited degree 
but we don't know the full extent of what they did to try to nudge conversation onto the official track. And that is one positive thing, arguably, that's expected to come out of this ruling, whichever way it ultimately swings. More transparency about that type of effort. These types of worrying, at times shadow banned or fully banned posts, though, whether or not they're correct and accurate in a scientific sense, and whether or not they're based in reality, or just someone's conspiratorial fantasy versions of reality, it's all supposedly at least protected speech. So even if this case was possibly brought in bad faith by political entities hoping to notch a win for their side and stifle what they see as attempts by the other side to keep them from expressing their opinions with the same seeming validity in the public sector as facts, the outcome of this case may be the legal forcing of social platforms to align their community and algorithmic rules with the First Amendment despite their claims that their own First Amendment rights allow them to publish or not publish whichever views they choose. An argument that would also seem to carry legal weight, but if this case ends up going to the heavily conservative Supreme Court, which many think it will, that latter argument may not win out, and the Facebooks and Twitters of the world could be forced to post and share with equal algorithmic weight whatever their users want to publish, regardless of what those posts and tweets contain. What I'd like to talk about today is another big, impactful collection of changes happening in the social platform world right now, and how these changes might shake out. You are listening to Let's Know Things. I'm Colin Wright. For the past year or two, the social media landscape has been weird. This was true before that, too, in many ways, but the transition from Facebook into the Facebook parent company Meta in early 2022, and the purchase of Twitter by Tesla and SpaceX owner Elon Musk in late 2022, fundamentally altered the familiar social landscape that had emerged over the past handful of years, defined by a core aging audience of people using Facebook, a younger audience mostly on Instagram, and the youngest portion of that audience migrating over to TikTok, which showed up a few years earlier. Beyond those platforms, the online forum space was owned by Reddit, social video of the non-vertical, non-ultra-short-form variety was still dominated by YouTube, and Twitter maintained its place as a smallish but influential text-focused network where politicians and journalists and other newsmakers tended to aggregate. Then, Meta, as implied by the name, started trying to make the metaverse happen. Twitter, freshly purchased by Musk, streamlined down to a skeleton of its former self. Something like 80% of its employees fired or walking away in a short period, which left it with little in the way of moderation, and a lot of prior norms were accidentally or intentionally sunset by the new ownership during this period as well. Reddit apparently took inspiration from Musk's cost-cutting measures and started letting people go, while also pivoting toward profit in a fairly dramatic and user-base antagonizing fashion. And YouTube, and everyone else to some degree, were watching their audience age at a worryingly rapid rate, and thus started trying to copy TikTok to capture more teenage attention, mostly without success. 
that pivoting towards profit catalyzed by a shift in larger market forces has left Twitter and Reddit in less favored positions by their user bases, and Meta has had egg on their face for a while now, as everyone but owner Mark Zuckerberg could see that his vision was not the future. It wasn't even something anyone but him seemed to want to make happen. And we found ourselves in a weird state of affairs where all these networks have been having identity crises simultaneously. Except for TikTok, which mostly just kept puttering along during this time, scooping up more young audience members, and periodically trying out new supplementary business models like Amazon-like marketplaces built into their app. Everyone else was just trying to copy them, mostly unsuccessfully, and they just kept on doing what they were doing. That new emergent dynamic changed a bit, though, recently, when Meta announced that it would be releasing a Twitter clone called Threads. Meta and Facebook before it is a famous and at times famously successful copycat. Most of its copying efforts do not lead to much, and if you do not remember or even recall having heard about projects like Hello or Slingshot, or Hobby with an I, or Super, or Sparked, or Facebook Paper, or M, or Campus, or Bulletin. That's because these Facebook or Meta projects did not make it, and were ultimately unceremoniously shut down after it was clear that nobody found them useful, or that they could not plug into Meta's larger money-making apparatus. One very successful effort of this kind, though, is Stories, which was built into Facebook as well, but which has really flourished on Meta's Instagram app, where it allows folks to post images or short little videos that go away after 24 hours. This is a direct ripoff of Snapchat's whole deal. Snapchat focuses on that type of content, and Meta basically just copied them, introduced a few of their own minor flourishes, and then made that content type and platform a subcomponent of their larger network. This approach seldom works for them, but when it does, it tends to diminish a threat, which at various times Snapchat has represented for Meta. And when Meta rolls in and adopts the thing you do, it can be difficult to compete with them, as although Meta products are not generally considered to be cool the way that Snapchat has at times been considered cool, and the way that TikTok is considered to be cool with the youths today, they also have a far, far larger network than essentially all of their competition, which gives them a huge advantage when it comes to attracting creators of various kinds, because that means these creators can reach larger audiences with their work. That network, Meta enjoys, can also be thought of as a social graph, which is the term used for the map of connections these sorts of social networks build. It's the network, basically, that shows who knows who, who follows who, and thus what sorts of relationships exist between all these little blips in their databases. Incorporating a tool like Stories into an existing platform allows folks to benefit from these existing social graphs. If you start over on a new network, for instance, joining Snapchat for the first time, you have to build a new social graph from scratch which can take a lot of time and effort, and in some cases, especially for brands and professional creators, it can take a lot of money as well. If you allow people to make that same sort of content on an existing network, though, you've already got however many followers you've aggregated on that network, which means no starting over, just the opportunity to share that new type of content 
with the people you have already attracted. And you can also benefit from the social proof, the follower count and likes and reputation you have previously garnered, which can also be valuable. Meta's Twitter copycat app, Threads, was envisioned as a new network, as a separate app. The company apparently tried building something like Twitter into Instagram in the past, but it never took off. It did not seem to make sense within that larger image and video-focused content, so the tool was tried and then disappeared. Threads, though, was introduced using a fairly cunning trick. When you sign up in its new separate app, you can import your existing Instagram social graph alongside your profile photo, biographical information, and other things of that nature. That means that you are not starting fresh. You have the chance to maintain all those existing connections, including people who are following you and people you are following. You have the option of starting from scratch, but you can also just bring those graph data points over with you, populating this brand new app with a huge amount of connections from day one. It is impossible to know how much of a role this specific attribute of threads played in its well-received rollout, but in terms of raw adoption numbers at least, the app has been a spectacular early success. The app saw 2 million signups after just two hours in the iOS app store and notched 10 million within seven hours. The morning after its launch, it had 30 million signups, and two days after its launch, it had 70 million users, according to official meta numbers. That is a staggeringly rapid adoption rate and a new social platform adoption record, bypassing TikTok, which took just under two years to reach 30 million people, and the 15 months it took Instagram to reach the same. And again, Threads had 30 million, that same amount, the morning after it released. Some app tracking numbers still put Nintendo's Mario Kart Tour app ahead of Threads in terms of the speed of app downloads, but whatever the specifics, Threads is a big early hit. And though it is anyone's guess as to whether it will maintain that uptake cadence and popularity, this isn't great news for Twitter, which, again, Threads is more or less a direct copy of, but with the added benefit of being perched atop Instagram's social graph. Alongside that existing network being imported benefit, though, Threads has another useful trick that will apparently be implemented sometime in the near future. ActivityPub is an open, decentralized social networking protocol that allows networks to basically plug into and interact with each other. It's one of the World Wide Web Consortium, the W3C's official standards for social networking, which gives it resources and credibility. And among others, it is incorporated into Twitter competitor Mastodon, microblogging network Tumblr, and generic blogging entity WordPress. It's also being incorporated into threads, and that is meaningful for several reasons, including the interoperability with other social networks this will offer threads users. When you're using a social platform that is ActivityPub capable, you can see posts and messages and profiles from those other networks if your network allows it. So once this capability is built out and turned on in threads, 
you should be able to see the profiles and avatars and posts shared by people on Mastodon within your Threads app, and they yours in return. Each platform makes decisions about its own goings-on, so it's possible that a portion of the larger Mastodon network will decide it doesn't want Threads users or posts to be shown to its users, so it can block all of that, and Threads could do the same in return if, for instance, it realizes there is a Nazi-focused Mastodon server that's sending horrible content to its users. It can just block that server, and that content and those users will no longer have access to Threads content, and their content will no longer make it over to folks using the Threads app. This lashing together of networks into larger networks is called the Fediverse, and it's something that Twitter co-founder Jack Dorsey is a big fan of. He has even backed another Twitter clone called Blue Sky, which is basically a simpler Twitter that uses ActivityPub. But this implementation is still not super common, at least amongst the bigwig social networks, in part because federating one's content and users in this way makes it more difficult to profit from them. Rather than a walled garden that you control absolutely, and which it is difficult for people to leave because if they do, they also leave behind all those connections and follows and all their content, this model connects all these social graphs together, giving folks more options and opportunities to split should they choose to do so, and more content to engage with, even if that content is not based directly on a given platform's servers. It was a bit of a surprise then that Meta announced, even before Threads launched, that it would be connected to the Fediverse in this way, as their business model has traditionally been heavily reliant on being a walled garden and keeping people from fleeing, basically, even if their services begin to degrade and become burdens of a sort rather than assets. This is being seen as a serious vote in the Fediverse's favor, and its potential to become the next big thing in social media. And it calls into question the future of networks like Twitter and Reddit and even TikTok that are not thus connected. Why would you invest in building out a following and a presence on a network that is a walled garden, after all, when you could instead invest the same on all these networks that are connected to each other simultaneously, that following and presence being portable and much, much larger as more networks plug into each other? And to be clear, all the features found in TikTok and Reddit and all these other networks have already been replicated in Fediverse-capable alternative apps, or could relatively easily be replicated. So we could see Meta or some other big player build a TikTok clone using this same model, plugging it into everything else, knocking down that walled garden, and maybe even allowing folks to import their existing social graphs. And that might be what allows a real-deal competitor to TikTok to finally arise, and what might finally challenge Reddit in the world of forums and YouTube when it comes to long-form video content. Threads, at the moment, has a lot of problems, ranging from its lack of features to its lack of a presence in the European Union, which Meta says is related to concerns about regulatory issues over there. So they're playing it safe and leaving a huge chunk of the online world and one of the world's most important markets without access. And those of us on the network without access to that huge chunk of the online and offline world in return. What's more, Meta is severely limiting the type of content that can be shared. Nothing risque, nothing too controversial, and the head of Instagram has outright said they are not trying to make it a network for hard news 
or politics. They're trying to keep it light, all of which suggests they could have problems with threads, becoming just a place where brands and celebrities promote their work and don't ever say anything serious, which could impede its ability to ever become more than a faster-moving, Fediverse-based Facebook. It's generally being perceived as overly sanitized and brand safe right now. And I've personally noticed a lot of people who never would have set foot on Twitter and who mostly stuck to the familiar pastures of Facebook booting up fresh Threads accounts, which suggests it might quickly become a huge but less influential short-form posting site rather than a true inheritor of the Twitter crown and what made Twitter special. But Threads was also introduced to fill a vacuum Musk's leadership at Twitter created. As many people were turned off by his pivot toward profits and the network's newfound focus on a type of right-leaning political ideology that seems to be informing a lot of his decisions and a lot of the favoritism on the network right now. Threads arriving at a different time then might not have been such a big deal and may not have grown so quickly, but Meta reportedly rushed this launch because this was precisely the perfect time to scoop up a bunch of dissatisfied Twitter users who, up till this point, have had a slew of other options, like Mastodon and Blue Sky and Post and T2 and Spill and Truth Social and Substack Notes to choose from, all trying to become the next Twitter, but all of which have their own flaws, including slow, invite-only rollouts that limit the number of people on the network, technical issues, and extreme ideological leanings. But perhaps even more importantly, none of which benefit from existing, fleshed-out social graphs. So folks fleeing to these other networks have all had to start from scratch, whereas those going to Threads, despite its many imperfections, and there are a great many, at least they don't have that sense of starting over, with gobs of effort ahead of them just to get back to where they were. If Threads does well, there's a good chance ActivityPub, or a competing standard, will become the norm in new social networks, which would seem to be a boon for users as it would reduce the switching costs associated with moving between platforms. That in turn could give users more say and sway over what happens on these networks, because moving away from a platform that makes decisions you don't like wouldn't come with as many downsides. You could just pop over to another connected platform and still have all your connections, your content, and so on intact, available from day one. Social networks would be forced to become more competitive and to do more to keep their users around. That user-favoring aspect of the Fediverse might lead platforms away from it, though, too, or lead to changes in its application that favor the owners of the networks rather than the users, as although it's popular right now to boast this type of connectivity, we've yet to see it deployed on the huge scale that would be offered by Threads, and we've yet to be offered a timeline as to when that connection will be implemented. So this could be a temporary trend in the corporate-scale social media landscape that allows these networks to pull in people with big promises, but those promises may ultimately lead nowhere or end up providing less interoperability and transferability than was originally implied and anticipated. The book I'd like to recommend today is called Reaper, the second E is a three by Elliot Pepper. This is a fun science fiction predicated thriller of sorts. 
and this, like all of his works, is a pretty fast-paced read with some interesting speculative bits that drive the narrative along with some characters that make it fun to engage with the story and the world that they live in. And if you are into thriller slanted science fiction novels, this book and all of his work will be welcome additions to your library. Now, if any of that sounds interesting, consider picking up a copy of Reaper. That's Reaper with a three instead of the second E by Elliot Pepper. You can find out more about me and my work at colin.io. You can find the show notes and transcript for this and every episode of the podcast at letsknowthings.com. You can find my other news-focused podcast, One Sentence News, wherever you get your podcasts, or at onesentencenews.com. And please feel free to say howdy on social media. I'm Colin Wright on Facebook and YouTube, at Colin is my name, on Twitter, Instagram, and yes, threads as well. Thank you so very much for listening. I'm Colin Wright, and I'll talk to you again next week. <laughs>